Okay, so welcome back everybody to our ongoing series here on St. Francis de Sales, who I have taken up, once again just to remind you, not only because he's a great saint, not only because he's a doctor of the church and has a great deal to tell us, but I think above all, because St. Francis de Sales' great specialty is in helping us to live our Christian spiritual lives in the regular world. That's what Francis de Sales is all about. There have been no shortage of great saints, great writers down through the ages. But Francis was the first one really to write specifically for lay people. Not specifically for priests, religious, cloistered monks, all of the, uh, all the rest. And what we're doing is we're, go- we're having an overview of, of Francis's spirituality. Okay? And if you remember, I, I said that uh, he unfolds that in five stages. Okay? First, making the decision to follow Jesus Christ, okay? which is no small decision. Second, getting the strength you need to do that. Right? And that's what tonight's all about. Getting the strength you need to do that through prayer. Third, having specific ways to put that decision into specific actions. Now, that's next week's subject. I really think you're going to like next week's, maybe best of all. Okay? Specific things to go into, specific things. Fourth, temptations and what to do with them. Not just how to avoid them, okay? because that would be too obvious, but what to do with them. And, and part, of, part of the time is not getting worried about them. And the last thing is persevering. And one of my... One of my most important messages as a priest to the people is persevere, persevere, persevere. Okay? Keep on going no matter what. The grace of persevering and the grace of being saved, that is getting to heaven, is the same grace. Right? So hang in there. Um, and all this is under the subject of deciding to change your life and how to do it. So uh, last week we focused on that big decision, changing your life. That was the main focus of last week. And as I said, the way in which we want to get ourselves to really make a change. Francis gave ten meditations. And you might want to review those ten meditations. Okay? Uh, and you think about them. Things about why you were created. Uh, what's the reason for being alive in the first place? Okay? What are we on this earth for? What's waiting for us in this life and in the life to come. Okay, great meditations uh, for refocusing you, but again, one of the, his other bare-bones basics, something we can't hear enough, is, is, is this. Simply making the decision that you don't want to sin anymore. And that might sound really basic, but there's a lot of people who haven't really made that decision. We can go back to the catechism. Okay? Uh, and I can't remember the exact reference in the catechism, um, but basically what the catechism does is it, uh, it draws a parallel. And this, and this, I'll get the, I'll have the reference for you next week, right? I, I need it now, but I can't remember what it is. It draws a parallel between the temptation and the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden, okay? And the reunion between God and man that Jesus draws out for us in the parable of the prodigal son. And here's the basic message. In the garden... Adam and Eve say to God, uh, you're trying to hold us back from something good with your commandments. And we rebel against what you're keeping from us because we want what's good for ourselves. So we therefore break your commandments, God, and we seek after what's good, claim it for ourselves. And when they do that, they bring nothing but destruction upon themselves. Well, Christ bridged that gap back together and he made us to realize that the Father always loves us. Those commandments are only for our good. And in breaking them, the only person we hurt, well, the first person we hurt is ourselves. Okay, so the very first thing that we want to do is we want to refocus that decision that we don't even want to sin, that sin always hurts, that sin never helps. Something we continually want to say to ourselves. Well, we didn't finish that subject last week, okay? We talked about ridding ourselves of mortal sin. We talked about those ten meditations, but we did not talk about venial sins. So that's what we're going to pick up. Uh, that's, what we're going to pick up this, um, that's what we're going to pick up this week. Okay? Um, as we meditate on our truths of our faith, we find that we're never really freed from that 
affection for sin. And that's what we want to overcome. To prefer good over evil, to not to want to sin, even if there were no punishment for it, even if nobody would ever find out. Okay? Again, sometimes we, we don't want to sin because, oh, we're afraid of going to hell. Well, okay, there's, that's, a, that, that's a motive. It's not a very deep motive, but it's a motive. We want to get beyond that. Um, or we don't want to sin because, dagnabbit, somebody might find out. Again, that's a motive. It's just not a very deep motive. Okay, we can do we can do better than that. Even if there were no punishment, even if we're nobody, would ever find out. But we meditate on these things, we pray about these things, we think about these things, and we discover uh, that we're still very, very weak. That bad tendencies we have are easily reborn. And so here's where we pick up now from from last week. We start talking about venial sin. Okay. Let's begin by thinking about this. There's a temptation for us to think that venial sin is okay. okay? Mortal sin's bad. We want to avoid that. Right? But as long as you're not robbing any banks or killing anybody, you're basically a good person. Okay? We don't want to think in those terms. Um, that's the perspective of somebody who doesn't love God. That's the perspective of just keeping the rules. And keeping the rules is not love. Okay? Um, and so he talks about venial sin... And one of the things that he does in venial sin is he says that uh, just like when the sun rises and you can see all the blemishes in your face more clearly. Okay, we all look better in the dark, right? Everybody looks better in the shadows. Um, nice, darkly lit, lit, lit restaurant. When the sun comes up, you can see all your faults. Okay, so too when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We begin to see our sins, our imperfections, and all those things that keep us from attaining what we're actually meant to be. Okay? And those things are venial sins. Now, we talk about venial sin, we have to make another big clarification. There's a difference between choosing something you know is wrong and having a personal fault. Okay? Now, your faults, you're pretty much stuck with, I'm sorry to say. They'll slowly be gotten rid of over the course of many, many years. And so when Francis is talking about venial sin, he's not talking about the fact that somebody might have a temptation to be impatient. Or somebody might have a disposition to be a little bit cranky. Or somebody might have a disposition to be melancholy. Or, or uh, perhaps a disposition to be a little bit of a showboat, right? Drawing all kinds of... These are, are false, but they're not necessarily the same thing as venial sins. What we're talking about here is something very specific. We're talking about choosing something that you know is wrong. Right? And again, another very encouraging idea, something we can't hear enough, is there's a difference okay, between doing things that are wrong and liking it. Okay? There's a big difference between having faults and liking your faults. And it's especially the affection for them, the liking for them, the inclination towards them. That's what we need to, to work on. You know, it's one thing, say, to tell a small lie. I'm sure we all have little lies that, in our little lives that we like to repeat. Perhaps it's something we're embarrassed of. Perhaps it's something we... Uh, um, we, a little truth we want to exaggerate, make ourselves look better. We've gotten in the habit of it. It's one thing to have a little lie that you might tell. It's another thing to like it. It's another thing to defend it and to guard it. Okay? That's what Francis is talking about when he's talking about venial sin. That's exactly what we need to attack. Okay? Um, um, and even so, uh, we have to recognize how, how big a deal this was. Here's a quote from Teresa of Avila, not Francis de Sales, but Teresa of Avila, because I think she really nailed this here. And she said that uh, tolerating her own venial sins almost destroyed her. Okay? She says, be careful and attentive. This is very important. Until you see that you're strongly determined not to offend the Lord, that you'd rather lose a thousand lives rather than freely commit venial sins. Okay? For otherwise, who can go on without committing many? There is an advertence which is very deliberate and from any deliberate sin, no matter how small it may be, may God deliver us. I don't know how we could be so bold as to go against so great a Lord, even in something small. What's more, there's nothing small if it goes against His immense majesty. And we see, and, and we see as He is looking at us. It seems to me a sin is very deliberate 
When one says, Lord, you see it, and I know you don't want it, but I want to follow my whim instead of your will. It doesn't seem to be possible that such a thing as this can be called little, however light the fault. Okay, so Teresa uh, really expresses what I think Francis is trying to say. That's why I quoted her. And what you want to do is you want to come to a point where you say to yourself, you know what? I'd rather die. Okay? Now, I recognize in saying that I'm raising the bar high. Uh, but if you don't have a goal to shoot for, how do you know where to go, right? You can't reform unless you first have a form to follow. Um, shoot for the moon, land, and the stars, right? But we want to bring ourselves to the point where we understand how good God is, how clear His goodwill is, uh, such that it's, we might have weaknesses, we might have faults, we might stumble and fall, but as far as deliberately, willingly, affectionately, freely choosing something we know is wrong, we want to bring ourselves to a point where we say, you know what, I'd rather die. Okay? Um, that's the deal, that you don't want it because you don't, you don't choose it. So he says, uh, well, why would we not, why not want to choose it? Well, he says it, it weakens our resolve. Okay? It makes it an obstacle to the good things he wants to give you. Now, there's a little meditation for you. Sometimes it's a good thing to go through your day and think about this. Um, do you have any idea how many good things God wants to rain on your life all the time? But did you either don't let Him give you, or that you don't want, or you don't position yourself to receive? Let's consider uh, a parent. Here's just a kind of a broad-based example. Let's consider a parent who wants to send their kid to college, and they save up for sending their kid to college. And they really want the best things for their child. But the child won't study. The child won't work. The child doesn't care. The child doesn't care about discipline or any of these things. And they're unable to receive what the good parent wants to give. God's like that to us a thousand times a day. And, um, and, and a lot of times we simply miss gifts that he wants to shower on us because we're not having the right dispositions. That's a consequence of venial sin. Uh, an obstacle to consolation. Okay, an obstacle to consolation. Again, you're down. You're tired. You're stressed. You're worried. You're concerned. You're depressed. You're anxious. Whatever it might be. You ever stop to think of the good God as wanting to comb over all those rough spots? You know, almost like, uh, like, like I don't know, a little baby crying and you know, daddy kind of rocking it gently to sleep. God has a hundred thousand consolations he wishes to send. And you know what blocks them? Venial sin. It's like, it's like a, a great big stop sign that keeps him from giving us what he wants. Opens wide the door to temptations, only makes the road harder. Okay? Um, and, and Francis has a, 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 an image here that talks about venial sin in the soul that I find very helpful. Okay? Here's the image. He says, if your soul is like a jar full of honey, venial sin is like a great big spider web in the jar. You hear that, you imagine that, you say, Ew! Um, Father Fred, who lives at our house and will be there for about 12 more hours before he moves, uh, he likes to have honey in his tea. And uh, every summer, uh, we have a growth in our population of ants for some reason. Okay, they go away in August, they come back in June. And guess where they, they, search, they search out the food. So they search out Father Fred's honey. Beautiful golden case of honey with an ant in it. Okay? In a sense, that's Francis's idea of venial sin. Now, you can go scoop out the ant and throw it away, but still, ew, right? You almost want to throw the whole jar away. Okay? Uh, your soul. You're, yeah, you could say I'm basically a good person, except for I've got this great big spider web in my, you know, my soul's a jar full of honey. I've got this great big spider web in it. But, you know, I'm mostly a good person. No. Come on now. Let's clean things up and be what we're really meant to be. Okay? It doesn't, venial sins don't kill the soul, but it's a big deal. If we, if it renders it ill. Okay? Um, there, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a great matter that you have a fault. Once again, it's a problem of liking them. Okay? An exaggeration in speech or whatever. As soon as you recognize it's a problem, you want to chase it away. Okay? So there's Francis on venial sin. That's closing up what, we, what we, we're going to talk about. But actually, one tiny more little topic to talk about, uh, and that is attachments. Okay? Attachments. We're going to switch subjects now off of sin and on to attachments. Let's talk about attachments for a moment.
First thing that we need to do is talk about what an attachment is. Um, sins and attachments. Sometimes you'll hear a spiritual writer, you'll, you'll, you'll hear a spiritual speaker talk about sins and attachments, or you'll read a spiritual writer talk about sins and attachments. We've got a decent idea what sin is, but what's an attachment? Let's think about this for a second. Here's an attachment, and I hope this makes sense. An attachment is a freely willed clinging to a created thing for its own sake. That's what an attachment is. Okay? Uh, first of all, it's a freely willed clinging. It's not something against your will. Um, something against your will might be enjoying a relatively cool and dry June afternoon and greatly preferring it to a hot and humid June afternoon and saying, oh, this is so nice. I must be attached to nice weather. No, it's not freely willed. It's instinctive. You can't help it. Okay? Freely willed choose it to a created thing for its own sake. Okay? What, you're, what that means is a little end in itself. So let's think about this for a second. Um, a created thing uh, for its own sake might be... Uh, um, I'm just going to make up some, some silly examples. I, I knew a faculty member in the seminary who had his spots in church. God help you if you took his spot. Okay. In fact, one seminarian came and took his spot in church, and this is what he did. He walked up and he stood right in front of him and just stood there until he got the message. <laughs> My spot. Okay, now let's think for a second. Do we need to have a spot in church to sit down? Yeah, it really helps. Does it matter where it is? No, it doesn't. Okay? And I know every time I say Mass, everyone has their spot. So. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Okay? It's just an example of, a, it's an, example of an attachment. Uh, I once went to my spiritual director and uh, I asked him, uh, you know, I'm a priest, I'm a busy guy. Is it okay if I watch the football game on Sunday? It's three and a half hours long. Can I watch three and a half hours of football? And he said to me, you're asking the wrong question. Okay? Not do I want to ask three and a half hours of football, but why do you want it in the first place? What's its purpose? Relaxation, right? How much do you need? How much you know, do you need beyond the point where you're no longer relaxing and you're now just, say, watching it for its own sake, maybe neglecting another duty in the process? When a creative thing becomes an end in itself, a freely willed cling to a creative thing for its own sake, that's an attachment. Does that make sense? We want to avoid attachments. We want to identify attachments. Everything in this world points beyond itself to God if it's properly used. But if it doesn't point beyond itself, if it remains fixed in its place, if it remains something that's only for its own sake, it becomes an obstacle. An image uh, that, um, that uh, Francis uses is a bird trying to fly. Okay? A bird trying to fly can't fly even if it's held down by the tiniest string around its leg. All attachments have to be cut before the bird can fly. And we want to avoid it. We want to look into our lives and ask, for everything, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, why you know, do, do, I, do I own what I own? Uh, in, in all things, if it doesn't serve a purpose somehow of helping us to get beyond, uh, to, to get beyond something and to God, it's, it's getting in the way. Because okay? it takes away something that, that's meant to be given uh, to God and it makes it an end in itself. Francis has another silly little example. He says, uh, you know, like children chase after fireflies, especially in the summertime, right? Children chase after fireflies. When I was a little boy, I moved to Virginia and I'd never seen a firefly in my life. In Montana, they don't have fireflies. Whatever. I was, That's the most incredible thing and I'm chasing after fireflies. I got a jar full of fireflies. Um, and he says, it's cute. Kids chase after fireflies. But if you see grown-ups chasing after fireflies, you think, what's wrong with you? Okay? Get over it. Grow up. Francis says we need to spiritually grow up. Because these things that we chase after, uh, it could be sports. Right? It could be sports. It plays its part. It's got its uh, relaxation value. Um, but you can take it too far. I remember I used to get it, be really into golf. And I'm not going to mention any names of any of the people I went golfing with. But some of them were really, really... I mean, it ruined their day if they missed a shot. And they were just bitter and angry. And I thought to myself, something's wrong here. This is supposed to be your fun. Um, if, if, unless, it's, unless it's serving its purpose, you've got to say it's getting in the way. 
And, and Francis says that when we're chasing after these things, it's like chasing after fireflies. Okay? He says, effectively, grow up. And, and recognize these little tethers holding you down or keeping you from the real happiness that your soul is trying to seek. Okay? Now we're done with last week. Because okay? I couldn't do all that last week. Okay? So now we go on to this week. Uh, this is about changing your life. Now we're going to talk about strengthening ourselves to change our life. Now we're going to talk about prayer. Okay? Now we're going to talk about prayer. Uh, and Francis says that prayer is the way to grow in the spiritual life. But most people don't know what it is. And most people don't know how to do it. Okay, so he gives us some, some basic instruction. He talks to get an overview of what prayer is. Talks about what our priorities ought to be. Talks about how we ought to pray, what we ought to do, and gives us a framework to help us to take the fruits of prayer and spread it through the whole day. One of my favorite little quotations on prayer uh, was from John Paul II. And someone asked John Paul II about his prayer. And he says, so what I do... The very beginning of the day, as I go to a place that's very, very, very deep, the presence of God, I go to a place that's deep into the presence of God and unite my soul into that presence. And for the rest of the day, I draw from the depths of that well and spread it for the rest of the day in everything that I do and in everyone that I meet. Okay? Um, we want to have prayer not just be something we do. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to, to to approach prayer and say, okay, now I've done that, now let me move on to something else. No, it's something we want to almost be like a, um, what, maybe like a hose connected to a, 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 a spigot. Something through which something passes through us for the rest of the day. That's God's life in our lives and through us to everyone else, okay? So here's St. Francis, here's St. Francis on prayer. Um, um, he says, uh, what you want to do ultimately is focus yourself in this contact with Christ throughout the day. Since prayer places our intellect in the brilliance of God's light and exposes our will to the warmth of his heavenly love, nothing else so perfectly purifies our intellect of ignorance and our will of depraved affections as prayer. Listen to what he says there. Intellect and will. Once again, you are mind and heart. That's what, you, that's what your soul is. Okay? Your body and soul, but your soul has intellect and will. Right? The perfection of your intellect is knowing the truth. And the perfection of your will is loving. And you want to know one of the reasons why people love little children is because their intellect and their will is, is so clearly good and pure. Little children don't know how to be cynics and skeptics, right? Tell them the truth and they believe you. They haven't learned yet how to be a skeptic. And they love everybody. They haven't learned yet how to be a cynic. In a sense, when God says, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We want to return to that state. Not to be child-ish, but to be child-like. With a mind for truth. With a heart for, for love. And that's what prayer does. Okay, Informs the mind strengthens the heart. And what we want to do here is we want to start defining our terms. Okay, um, We want to talk about something uh, that some of you might have heard of before, perhaps others not, and that's mental prayer. Right? When we talk about prayer, what we want to first understand is mental prayer. Now, most Catholics have their prayers, right? We've got our, our fathers, we've got our Hail Marys, we've got our litanies, we have rosaries, uh, we have mass, we have liturgy of the hours, we have all these prayers, devotions. They're fine. But you have to understand this. What he calls mental prayer is the real reason why we have all those other prayers in the first place. We want all prayers to kind of become mental prayer. Okay? Uh, and let's see, if we can, let's see if we can make that clear. Because this really is what it's all about. Okay? He says, I especially counsel you to practice mental prayer, the prayer of the heart, and particularly that which centers on the life and passion of Christ by often turning your eyes to him in meditation. Your whole soul will be filled with him. And you'll learn his ways and form your actions with him. And just like little children learn to speak by listening to their mothers and by lisping words with them, so also, by keeping close to our Savior in meditation and observing His words and actions and affections, we'll learn by His grace to speak and to act and to will 
like him. Okay, so first thing you want to do is understand mental prayer. Let's think of it first of as prayer you pay attention to. Okay, uh, Catholics often like to rattle off prayers. I once programmed my computer back in the early days of voice synthesis to say Hail Mary. And I programmed my computer and I and hit and out came Hail Mary out of my computer. And I asked myself, does my computer just say a prayer? No. But when I'm speaking inattentively, I'm just as bad and just as useless as this machine. Okay? Uh, so you could, might want to begin by thinking of mental prayer as prayer that you pay attention to. Um, when you pray vocally, be aware of who you're talking to. Be aware of what you're saying. He calls it prayer of the heart. It's a paying attention, but also with affection, with love, with gratitude, with all the feelings that accompany a relationship. Mind and heart focus to God. And before I talk more about this, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's just have real briefly what he talks about here. He talks about focusing on the life of Christ. Okay, Focusing on the life of Christ. Uh, basically, Francis says this. If you want to really pray well, all your good prayer is going to bounce back somehow to the life of Christ. Can I give you a little example? Um, this is going to sound kind of stupid, okay? Uh, I was at a wedding with another priest, and as is often the case at weddings, you'll find the photographer here, or someone over, some, someone working to help make the wedding uh, go, and there will be some interaction with the priest. And very often these people, they're not Catholic, they're just being paid, uh, they're just getting through the day, and they won't call you father, they'll call you sir. Okay? And I said to this priest, don't you hate it when they call you sir? Don't you wish they'd call you father? And he goes, get over it. They spat on Christ. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, puts me back in my place. But a little prayer, right? It wasn't just him saying, oh, please, get over yourself. Why do you care about what they call you? It was actually deeper than that. It was a prayer. And suddenly you're thinking, oh, hey, why do I care about being honored? My mind needs to be having the same things that Christ had. They spat on Christ. Hmm, they haven't done that to me yet. Okay? Um, so always reflecting, focusing everything back on, on his life. Maybe you're having trouble with your friends. I think about Judas Iscariot. Okay? Maybe you're having trouble with your family. You know what Christ's relatives tried to do to him? Tried to push him off a cliff. Okay? They got too upset. His own friends and relatives tried to push him off a cliff. Uh, you, you always want to focus everything back on, on, onto the life of Christ. And just let that be kind of a point of reference. An area in which you can grow. A focal point. Let me try to, to focus all my prayer back onto, well, this is happening in my life. What's happening in Jesus' life? And then I can ask him to help me. Okay? Because, hey, like you said, if it happened to the master, don't expect yourself, the servant, to be exempt. Right? Um, he talks about uh, the, the time of your prayer. He talks about the place of your prayer. He talks about the length of your prayer. Okay, time, if you can, make it in the morning. Now, I hate the morning too. Okay? But the real reason why you want to make it in the morning is it's, the, it's often the only time of the day nobody's going to interrupt you. Okay? And then I always get these mothers with the newborn babies saying, oh, that ain't true, Father. 24 7. Let me tell you, they're always there. Okay, it's the best time of the day in which people, the phone isn't going to ring. Um, very rarely is anybody going to wake up earlier than they have to to bother you. Okay? So if you really want to pray, and he says you've got to be serious about this, make a mental note of this. Take the time you need to pray and, and consider whatever you want to pray, just getting up that much earlier in the day. Place. He says pray in church if you can. If you can. Now, obviously, I can. I've got a code, and I've got keys, okay? Um, but maybe you can't. If you can't, set aside a place where you can pray, a special place. Maybe it's a corner of your house, maybe you have a statue. Maybe it's a corner of your house, maybe you have a picture. Uh, something along those lines. But if you set aside a sacred place and a sacred time, it makes the act of praying much more natural. A much easier way to stick with it. Having a good time and having a good place. Duration of prayer. Now, fasten your safety belts. He says pray an hour a day. Now, I know that everybody can't pray an hour a day. If you can pray an hour a day, he says pray an hour a day. Okay? Um, But your duration of prayer, let it be constant. Let it not be something that wavers and changes. Because then it's not so much 
you're being faithful to Christ is you're being faithful to your whims. Okay, so you want to you want to try to have the same amount of time every day. He also says don't go beyond an hour a day. Some people might want to go beyond an hour a day. Francis says don't. And the reason why he says don't is because he says it's very easy for somebody to become a spiritual glutton. You might find when you pray that it's really pleasant. It's a highlight of your day. You love it. And then you start thinking to yourself, well, if I'm good, I'm good for an hour, I'm down for two. And you might really rather pray than be about your business, be about your work. Right? And he says, he says, before you go beyond an hour, ask the permission of a spiritual director. Make sure you're not doing it for the wrong reasons, for the selfish reasons, for imbalanced reasons, neglecting your responsibilities, that kind of thing. Okay? Remember we'll thought about time, place, and duration. Okay? That, that Francis talks about. Uh, early time, same place, consistent duration. Okay? Now, what do you do? What do you do in prayer? A lot of people don't know what to do. Uh, and Francis gives us some specific, sp- some specific uh, examples. He says, what you want to do is you want to begin by putting yourself in God's presence. Every time you pray, uh, try your very best not to say, okay, now it's time to pray in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen, Hail Mary, Full Grace, Lord of Luke. Every time you pray, if you possibly can, just take, take a little moment and say, wait a minute, who am I talking to? I'm talking to God. Let me call God's presence to mind. And then you begin your prayer. Okay? You want to set the world aside for your daily prayer? Set the world aside. Set your problems aside. Set your worries aside. Set your fears aside. And put yourself in God's presence. You say, God is truly here. And I'm preparing right now to speak to Him. And to listen to Him. Both sides speaking. Both sides listening. That's prayer. Okay? Um, And he says, ask for God's help to pray. Sometimes you want to actually ask for God's help to pray. You might not know, you might say, I'm going to put myself in God's presence and the very first thing you think about uh, is, uh, did I remember to call the plumber yesterday? If you're going to sit yourself down to pray and the very first thing you think about is, uh, uh, wait a minute, I wonder who's on Facebook right now. The very first thing you think about is, uh, oh, did I, did I remember to wash the dishes? Whatever it might be. He says, sometimes you need help to pray. Don't be afraid to ask God in prayer to help you pray. You actually sometimes need to ask Him in prayer to help you to pray. Maybe there's a little psalm you can say. A little intercession of a saint you can, you can say. Uh, you, you, can, you can call upon. Um, for what it's worth, I have a little personal thing I do every time I give a homily. Uh, I bow down, I pray before, that, uh, before the, the presence of God, bow down to the altar, say a little prayer and ask my guardian angel to intercede for me with everybody else's guardian angel. Okay? Because I might not say what you need to hear, but my angel won't screw it up and neither will yours. So I can get them talking to each other. We'll get along fine. Okay? And so, anything that helps you. Okay? Um, and then he says, whatever you do, when you're praying, be attentive. Right? Better to say, uh, one Our Father well than to say a hundred Our Fathers badly. I think I told you about the story of... Uh, the nun who tried to enter the convent with Teresa of Avila. And she, enters the, she goes to interviews, try to get into the convent with Teresa of Avila in Spain. And, and Teresa says, uh, so tell me about your prayer life. And the, and the sister, the would-be sister says, well, I don't know very many prayers, sister. And she says, well, how many prayers do you know? She says, well, I only know the Our Father. And she says, well, how long does it take you to say the Our Father? It will take about three, sometimes four hours. Well, come right on in. You're going to be just fine here. Okay, Say one well rather than a thousand uh, uh, distractedly. But remember to keep your focus on mental prayer. Okay? If you feel mental prayer coming on, stick with it. Ride with it. Extend it. Probe it. Let it go as long as you possibly can. Remain in that mental prayer as long as you possibly can. And then only then, gently and quietly move on. Okay? It says, meditation leads to good movements of the will. And in the heart, such as love of God, love of neighbor, zeal for salvation of souls. You think about these things as you hear them. Desire to imitate Christ, compassion, wonder, joy, fear of displeasing God, hatred of sin, confidence in God's goodness and mercy, sorrow for past bad actions. We don't want to stop at these general affections. We want to turn them into specific resolutions. Okay, so with this method, you rapidly correct yourself. So let's talk about what, 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 we're, what we're doing in mental prayer here. Let's say we sit down and, and we take a prayer 
uh, um, let's say Psalm, uh, 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 let's see, so I can remember, uh, Psalm 34, okay? Psalm 34. Um, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise always on my lips. I like to pray Psalm 34 because I can think about those words all day. What's always on my lips? Well, it ain't the praise of God, I'll tell you that much. i got a lot to work on. But if I keep recalling that prayer, I can say to myself, okay, so when I'm in this or that or the other situation, I just want to remember this, these words now. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise always on my lips. That's mental prayer. And you might stick with that resolution. And you might go from that to thinking about what might happen to you later in the day. Okay? And you might kind of ask God then to help you when... 3.15 arrives and you have to return that phone call that you've been dreading, whatever it might be. Not that I'm being specific or anything like that. Um, that he will be with you at that moment. That's mental prayer. That's making resolutions. He says, don't stop with just good thoughts. Make resolutions. Okay? If you just have these prayers, you get puffed up. Right? How many people go to pray, have these wonderful, lofty, puffy thoughts about how great they are and how close God is, and then the very first thing that happens is maybe the, 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 the bacon is overcooked. And suddenly you're Oscar the Grouch. And, and suddenly you're, you're uh, spewing venom. Well, so much for your, uh, so much for your good resolution, so much for your, for your prayer. Make good resolutions. Think about specific things that are going to happen to you in the day. Ask God to help you, okay? And here's another thing. He says, let this last as long as you can. And have a transition zone out of your prayer and back into your regular life. I really loved this when I first heard this, what I'm about to read to you, and I hope you find this helpful too. He said, when you're about to end your meditation, that is your prayer time for the day, okay? Strive to do so quietly and gently so as not to spill from your heart the precious liquid of mental prayer. And by that, I mean that you preserve as much as possible a little silence, permitting your heart to move gently from mental prayer to active affairs, Retaining as long as possible the feelings and the affections you've conceived in prayer. Anybody carrying a costly liquid into his home in a beautiful porcelain vase would proceed very cautiously indeed. And this is what we must do after coming from meditation. We must not permit ourselves to be quickly distracted. You must get used to moving from mental prayer to the obligations of your life, even though these obligations might seem very far removed from the thoughts and nerves and what you did during prayer. But I mean simply this, the lawyer goes from mental prayer to pleading his cases, the merchant to his business, the married woman to her wifely duties and the concerns of her household, and with such gentleness and tranquility that the spirit is not disturbed in the least. And so, since both are God's will for us, we must pass humbly from one to the other for the love of God. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to try to have a nice little transition zone. Put the radio off. Don't turn on the internet. Um, you know, don't uh, think to yourself, hooray, my prayer is over. Now it's on to golf. Right. Hooray, my prayer is over. Now uh, it's on to um, whatever my favorite show or, or I, I'm going to go surf the net or whatever it is. If I have like a quiet transition zone, and you can slowly bring yourself back uh, from one to the other. Something that doesn't involve media, I think, is a good modern twist on this. OK, something that doesn't involve media because it can be like such a. Like a, such a spiritual slap in the face to go so abruptly from one to the other. Um, problems in prayer, interruptions, dryness, emptiness. Something to think about. First of all, interruptions. Not a problem, believe it or not. Not a problem, unless they're regular. Unless it's something that tells you you should be rescheduling your day, rescheduling your prayer time. Uh, if you're praying in the middle of the day, at a time where people are regularly going to try to call you or try to get your attention and you're complaining about interruptions, guess what? Change your prayer time. But if it's an occasional thing, um, just the other day, I'm, I'm up, uh, praying up in the chapel, and suddenly the car alarm starts beeping from heaven knows where. And Father Edwardson comes running up the stairs, and hey, your car alarm's beeping. And I run downstairs, and I realize that it's his car that's beeping, not mine. Okay? But does that interruption hurt my prayer? No. How many times does that happen in the course of the year? Maybe once. Okay? But if it happens every day, it'd be a problem. Uh, dryness, emptiness. These things are actually some of your best friends. 
People think that when they're dry in prayer and they're empty in prayer, they have bad prayer. You want to know what? People think that if their uh, if their experience of prayer is very emotional, that means it's good prayer. And if their experience of prayer is very dry, that means it's bad prayer. And you know what? Francis says, what all the other saints say, and that is, much this might sound like a surprise to you, when you press on through dryness and emptiness, that is your best prayer. That is when God is doing the most for you. Because by then, it is pure goodwill on your part. Just as close to Him. You're not getting anything out of it. Who's it for? You? Not anymore. Who's it for? God. And that's so pure and that's why I say um, St. John of the Cross will say that you have to have periods of dryness and emptiness or you'll never grow. Okay? And Francis says the exact same thing. You have to have these periods of, of, of dryness and periods of emptiness, times when you have no consolation for it. He says, don't be discouraged in the slightest. Little things you can do. Take up a book until your spirit is wakened. Change your posture. Say a vocal prayer. How many courtiers go a hundred times a year into the palace of the king without the slightest hope of speaking to him, but simply to be seen by him and to pay their respects? That's how we ought to come into prayer. Purely and simply to pay our respects and demonstrate our fidelity. Don't be discouraged by spiritual dryness, no matter how intense it may be. Okay? So you might want to think of that just to kind of bolster your strength when you're feeling dry and empty. That in spite of what you feel... God's doing the most because in fact at that moment you're actually giving him the most. Okay? Um, other little things that can happen in prayer are you could fall asleep. Okay? Um, uh, St. Uh, Therese is a little flower. Fell asleep in prayer every day. Mother Teresa of Calcutta frequently fell asleep in prayer. And somebody would see Mother Teresa of Calcutta sitting in the chapel hunched over snoring. Okay? And they were scandalized. They'd go wake her up and she'd go look, 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 look. And she'd wake up and be like, uh, Mother, you, 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 fell asleep, you fell asleep in prayer. She goes, that's okay. God loves me when I'm sleeping too. Okay? Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. Okay, so now what about the rest of your day? What about the rest of your day? Well, he says you want to have ways of spreading out. Okay, first thing you want to do is you want to have your morning. And by this he means when you wake up first thing in the morning. Okay? See if you can take just a, a couple of minutes there where you can just get a little overview of your day, what's coming up, prepare for what's coming, think about what this day might bring, uh, ask yourself, ask God to help you for what's coming, place your day under God's protection, uh, thank God for getting you through the night, right? Brand new day, brand new opportunity, ask forgiveness for your sins, make a resolve to make the most of the day that's about to begin, um, um, prepare, for, prepare for what's coming. He says, for example, I foresee I must engage in some business with a person who I know is a hothead and prone to anger. That's his word, not mine. I shall determine not to let myself offend him and I shall seek some way to circumvent his anger by a pleasant word or by the help of someone who's able to soothe him. Just a quiet little way of uh, placing your day in God's presence right there at the very beginning of the day. And you got your regular prayer time. And then he says... Uh, afternoon and evening throughout the day, you want to try to quietly, if you can, just take a moment and recollect that you prayed about the morning. Okay? Now, you can do this. You can do this almost anywhere. Um, you can do this at a red light. You can do this... Uh, I used to work in the Justice Department. These great big cavernous halls. And, you know, you can stop and just kind of stare out a window. Everybody else passing by, they're doing their thing. A couple of quiet minutes there. Recollect myself, refocus myself, put my day back into God's presence, kind of capture my, my, my focus, okay? Do that throughout the day. Um, uh, in, in, the, in the evening time, okay? Rekindle those flames. Uh, thank God at the end of the day. Examine your conscience before going to sleep. Think about what's happened. Think about how the day has unfolded. Think about what you did. Think about what you did well. Think about what you did badly. Give thanks to God for what's good. Ask His forgiveness for what, for what you did wrong. Ask for God's blessing before sleep, knowing that every time you lay down your head in sleep, it's kind of like death in miniature. Every little day, with its promise in the morning, with its, with its ending in the day, it's almost like a little microcosm of life. And then he says, 
throughout the whole day, okay, frequent yourself uh, with, with little tiny prayers. Try to keep this in mind. And I, hope, I hope this makes sense. Just admire his beauty. Invoke his help. Give yourself to him a thousand times a day. Extend your hand to him like a little child does to his father, that he might guide you. No need to memorize any prayers. Uh, love will take care of what you need to say. Just as one in love can barely walk past a tree without carving the initials of the one they love, so too does one who loves God never cease thinking about him. They want to carve Christ's initials in everyone they see, and everyone they meet. Everything speaks to them of him and invites them to think of the love of God. And so you think about little things like um, um, uh, St. Gregory Nazianzus, and he's walking along the beach, and he sees the tide coming in and going out. Coming in going out, wherever it was, coast of Greece or Turkey or wherever it was. Um, and he sees that the, the seaweed comes and goes with the tide. And the rocks stay firm, anchored in their place. And he turns into a little prayer. He thinks, you know, the rocks, they're like those who've got their lives rooted in Christ. Doesn't matter what the culture or society does, it comes, it goes, it comes, it goes, goes through its cycles. The people who are not rooted in Christ, they're kind of like that seaweed. They just ride with the culture. They ride with, the, with whatever's popular at the moment. Um, St. Fulgentius walks into the city of Rome, sees how beautiful it is, thinks to himself, geez, if Rome is this beautiful, what's heaven going to be like? Um, a couple of my own little examples. I think I've used a couple of these in homilies. I'm driving through Alberta in Canada. Magnificent, uh, vast wheat field stretching on as far as the eye can see in this dramatic weather pattern blowing up in the south right where the plains meet the Rockies and these black thunderheads towering high above and these winds whip over the plains and whip over the, the mountains and all the acres and acres and acres of tall, full-grown autumn wheat undulating in the wind and it was mesmerizing and I could sit and stare at it for hours and hours and I thought to myself, why is it mesmerizing? Why is it so beautiful watching acres and acres of wheat blow and bend in the wind? And I thought, you know, it's because every single stalk of wheat is perfectly obeying God's will. And how beautiful it is when we do. How beautiful it is when we all would, would we all could obey God's will. I'm walking through the uh, lobby of this hotel. The Chateau Lake Louise. It's on a beautiful lake in Canada, Lake Louise. A magnificent turquoise lake spot up against a mountain. This magnificent glacier, 3,000 feet high, towering over the lake. And this, this, this enormous cavernous lobby with these 40-foot windows arching upward into the sky, crystal glass, people seated all across in these beautiful white uh, uh, draped tables, clinking champagne with crystal goblets, and a woman sitting there dressed in an 18th century gown, plucking a harp. And you could hear the murmur of gentle laughter and the clinking of champagne goblets and the sound of this magnificent, beautiful harp overlooking this spectacular lake. And I thought to myself, if this is what earth can do for a temporary dwelling, what must heaven be like for all eternity? Little prayers. Little things you do throughout the day. And he says you try to do this as long as you can. Okay? And he says it helps you persevere. It strengthens your resolve. Um, and it helps you, uh, you know, it helps you to, to continue to, to live your life well. Without it, Rest is idleness and labor is drudgery. Does that sound familiar? Rest is idleness. Now, rest should be refreshing, not just doing nothing. Okay? And labor is drudgery. Labor should be creative, engaging, not just, oh, I've got to endure this and how much time is left in my day. Okay? And he says, what's the power that transforms this? Changing your circumstances? There's no changing your prayer. Right? Changing your prayer. And getting yourself into the habit of living, as he's saying right here, that's going to be that's going to be your strength. Now he talks about a lot of other things, uh, you know, that I, I don't necessarily have time to get into. He talks about the power of praying in common, right? Always better than praying alone. You can get somebody to pray with you. Always better. Um, he talks about the power of the mass, the source of all spiritual exercises, the heart of devotion, the soul of piety, an ineffable mystery. He says, strive if you can to attend it every day. And if you can't attend it every day, try to put yourself there at least in spirit. Confession. He says, once a week is good. Once a month is also good. Okay? And uh, 
I can tell you, if, if everybody went once a week, uh, I was about to say I'd be overwhelmed, but I'd probably get help. So why don't you all start going to confession once a week? It'll twist the bishop's arm. He'll send me help. Okay? He says, once a month, though, try to make it at least once a month. And when you get into confession, he says, be specific and examine your motives. So when you get into confession, don't just get in there and say, I haven't loved God enough. Right? I mean, St. Joseph could say that. Anybody could say that. Uh, what, you, what you want to do is you want to say, uh, I blew off prayer because I felt like watching cat videos on YouTube. Right? You want to be specific about this kind of thing. And then you want to ask your motives. You don't want to, you don't want to just kind of be like, ah, I didn't love God enough. I blew off prayer to watch cat videos on YouTube because I'm regularly a lazy lout. It is a problem of mine. Right? And laziness and sloth is a real problem of mine. That's a motive I need to work on. And just, so what we want to do, we want to approach confessions as specifically as we can, right? And to search our motives. And that's another tremendous help. And he says that all this together, this is living in Christ's presence. And that's what changes us. That's what transforms us. Kind of like the warmth of a warmth of fire penetrates and transforms your entire self from, from, from head to toe and you're warm from head to toe and all, your, all the chill is gone. So too this contact with Christ changes us except spiritually. Okay? So I'm kind of, I, I kind of rushed that at the end there. It's because I can't really do, give it due justice. Um, um, but next week, right, we're going to talk about the specific things, some real specific things, things like friendship. What's good friendship and what's bad friendship? Um, and what's the difference between the two? Marriage. He's got a lot to say about the subject. Okay? Uh, conversation, good and bad. Gossiping. You ever wondered uh, when does gossiping begin and talking about someone just as a subject matter end? Okay? When does one begin and the other end? Um, uh, things like uh, going to parties, going to dances. Are they good? Are they bad? Can they be good? Can they be bad? Okay? So that's where we are that's where we're going changing your life that was uh, the decision last week this week the strength to change our life next week specific changes okay good enough for one day okay um, let's turn off the recording here and then